It's 10 minutes after 8. Thanks for tuning in to the show this morning and uh, particularly uh, the forum at 8 this morning where we are going to focus on gangs and gang-related issues. Now, gang-related violence appears to be on the rise in South African communities. According to a study released in 2013 by Mexican NGO Citizens Council for Public Security and Criminal Justice, South African cities were amongst the top 50 most violent urban areas on the planet. A 2016 report by another institute in Brazil concurred with this report, but bringing South Africa's position even lower, which means that the incidence is increasing. And then um, you look at uh, the high number, uh, the, the murder rate in the cities that are linked to gang-related activities. And again, we tend to feature there in the top 50 in the world. Cape Town, Nelson Mandela Bay, Buffalo City, they feature in the top 50 most violent cities in the world. And last week we spoke to one of our listeners, uh, Tulani Mbaza, who's a resident of Mangaung in the Free State, and he told us that in that area they are living in fear as teenage gangsters run amok. These gangs, they are terrorizing the communities, and it seems as if the police are not doing anything about it. They cannot do anything. I'm not trying to blame anybody. But it's a problem that the communities are sitting with. Gangsterism amongst the youth. Many of our youth, they've dropped out of school. They are sitting on corners. At night, they are roaming around the parents. Even some of them, the parents are afraid of their own children. Now the problem is that our youth is, is, is being lost. This is the, 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 gener- the, the free generation. But they are lost. They have no future. They have no way forward. What happened in 2011? We started hearing about this BT case. And they were terrorizing, waiting on the corners in the morning like now. This time when the children are going to school, they stand on the corners and they start robbing the children. Here in phase 6 where we are standing, the high schools for our children is more than, it's almost 20 kilometers away. From the, from the location. The police station itself is almost 20 kilometers away from the location. Last year, some of these youths, they attacked a satellite police station within phase five. And they, uh, one of the policemen died in that attack. So it seems as if the police say that they have uh, strategies in place to curb these things. Our people are being robbed. Our people are being assaulted by this youth. When we call in the police, we show them those are the group that assaulted us. The police will say, which one of them? Come and point out. And the community is so afraid to identify them face to face because because our, 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 our magistrates, the police arrest some of these boys. When they get to court, the magistrate who does not understand fully the dynamics of the of Cassie life, they let these boys go free again. They say, no, there's nothing that uh, connects these boys to crime or this gangsterism and all these things. So, man, really, really, something needs to be done.
And that was, of course, uh, one of our listeners, Tulani Mbaza, uh, talking about the situation in Mangaung in the Free State. And uh, just to move this forward, as we uh, put the spotlight on gangsterism this morning and uh, try to perhaps find a way uh, to get to solution stages with this. And we are under no illusion that it's not an easy thing to deal with. But we should in some way try and find a way for communities to find hope, to try and forge a way forward out of this quagmire that they find themselves in with the gangs. Uh, So the gangs continue to terrorize the communities. The communities are speaking out, but then again, seemingly there is no help forthcoming. So uh, tell us what your thoughts are on this 0891 You can uh, tweet or Facebook us at AM Live on SAFM or at Sakina Kamwendo and you can also SMS uh, 40938 and that will be charged at 150 per SMS. And joining us for the discussion this morning uh, from Cape Town, a former gang member from Retreat in Cape Town is uh, Sergil January. Thanks so much for speaking to us uh, this morning, Sergil. Thank you very much for having me, Sakaina, and also a very good morning to the listeners out there. Yeah. And also with us this morning in our Joburg studio, Dr. Kelly Gillespie, who's a senior lecturer in the Department of Anthropology at the University of the Witwatersrand. Thanks for coming through. Thanks very much for having me, Sakaina, and, and good morning to your listeners. Dr. Kelly, let me start with you. Firstly, is it our imagination or is there a proliferation in gang-related activity in our townships? I think it's important to recognize that gangs have a very long history in South Africa. Um, Cape Town uh, gangs really started developing with the forced removals and dislocation of people from their homes in the city and the migration of people into the early formations of the colonial city in Cape Town. Um, and in Johannesburg, uh, gangs really began with the very beginnings of the, of the um, mining system in, in Johannesburg. Um, we have reports... Uh, beautiful uh, descriptions of that early mining formation in Johannesburg um, by historians, particularly social historians like Charles von Onselen, who describe how um, the early uh, gang formations really took place around the pickings of the mines um, and the contestation over the resources of the mines. So gangsterism and the formation of gangs have a very long history in South Africa. Um, But it is accurate that we are seeing now um, uh, an upturn. uh, uh, I'm not sure if you could say an explosion, but certainly a shift in the number of uh, young people who are being attracted into gangs uh, at the moment. And this has, there are many reasons for this. Um, Mm, Let's talk about a few of those reasons. hmm. Well, from research, from research I've done um, primarily in Cape Town, I've done research in Cape Town and Johannesburg. But the research that I've done in Cape Town shows that uh, in some parts of the city, particularly so-called colored areas that have been long been part of the city, gangsterism is, of course, an endemic problem. And I think Sergio will be able to talk to us about the, the lived experience of that. But what, what, what I was very surprised about um, in research that I did in Kailicha was how there seems to be um, a recruitment of very young boys, particularly uh, from even from primary schools, mm. 10, 11, 12-year-old boys, into uh, what we call proto-gangs um, in the township. And this this seems quite new, and there, there are several explanations for it. The one is that um, some of these young boys are going to, are being sent 
if you like, to schools in what their parents consider slightly better neighborhoods. So instead of going to school in Kailicha, they're being sent to school in Elsis River or in Manenberg, uh, in areas that have very uh, deep uh, histories of gangs. And they're bringing those gang networks back into township. That's one. The second is that um, young, young boys are, uh, are uh, mimicking <laughs> uh, formations in, in, in other uh, communities and other areas. Then, of course, there's, an, there's been an upturn in drug use across the country, um, in not only in, in so-called colored uh, townships, but also in black townships. So you see, you see Tuk entering uh, 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 ta- places like Kailicha. You see Nyope um, um, uh, entering yeah. townships. And you, saw, you see young people being drawn into networks of organized crime. And since the 1990s, we've seen the explosion of, um, of drug uh, uh, organized drug economies in townships in ways that we hadn't seen before. And those increasingly are being linked into uh, existing gang formations, and gang formations are, are building up around those uh, drug networks of organized crime. So let me come to you as a former uh, gang member, uh, and let's start at the beginning of how you were actually recruited into a gang, by whom, how, how old were you, and which gang did you belong to? Okay, um, I'm just, I'm, I don't think I'm going to mention the name of the gang that I belong to, but I can start off by saying that um, at a very early age, you know, I dropped out of high school. At, I think, well, it was at grade nine that I dropped out. And then, um, like the researcher said, you know, I started out hanging out on the street corners. And in our area was lots of gang members, different gang members. And also of them were like, um, you know, small-time drug dealers. But they drove fancy cars, they wore fancy clothes, and those were things that I looked at, you know. And um, I also found that they've got some kind of power um, amongst, you know, the, the clique. Um, so, yeah, I was like, I was 14 years old when I, when I took on a tattoo of a, a gang. And uh, I basically did that while smoking mandrax, you know, at such a young age. But I also, I also um, have come to understand this one thing that, you know, because especially in our colored community, I find that many of our young men, you know, they don't have a figure as a father figure to guide them through this life, to give them the proper principles, etc. So um, my story relates to not having a proper father figure in my life. You know, mm-hmm. so uh, that is basically how it all started. So, like I said, I'm not going to mention the name of the gang mm-hmm. because uh, in my area and in surrounding areas, I'm, I'm, I'm so to say quite well known. You know, and it's so ironic this morning that this interview has to take place this morning because on the 23rd of May 2006 is when I actually um, I got shot, and I think that was a turning point for me. So, so tell yeah. us about that day. Okay, um, yeah, as, was, as, as the researcher was also saying, with regards to people or young men and, and you know, specifically men, um, I've also been involved with drug dealers as well as doing drugs. Um, so it was one night on the 23rd that um, I was actually on my way to, to the dealers because that is basically where I hung out, all right? 
So, uh, as we were over there, I think the previous night, there were a couple of guys that came from another area, and they were almost like looking for trouble, you know, at uh, where we were, where we were. So, um, and as I've mentioned earlier on that, you know, it's, a, it's about power. It's about having territory in a specific area. So what happened was these guys came around and they was all demanding and stuff like that. And, and we weren't about to back off, you know. We were just as, as stubborn as they were in the sense. So um, they eventually left. And then the following night, and at this stage I was 19 years old, eh? And in the following night, uh, we were sitting and we were busy, you know, busy with our weed, rolling the, the, the weed pipes and stuff like that. Then um, these same guys came around, and this time they came around with a, with a BMW. They had, like, a driver to drive in. And uh, I actually knew the one guy, or we, we as, a, as a clique, we knew this one guy, and we didn't think much of it, but then... The other guy that was with him, they started out becoming, you know, demanding again. Then what I did was I asked this guy, Kiki, this is in the term that we spoke, mm-hmm. and then this guy he basically didn't say much. He just said, oh, it's in the And then he, what he did was he stepped back, and as he stepped back, I did not even notice, but in an instance he took out the gun and he just started firing shots. And that was when one of those shots hit me to my head. And the, the turnout of that was I became completely blind. And I'm still blind at this day. So, um, yeah, like I said, it's, it's been a turning point for me. And um, it's also been, so to say, like an escape for me out of, you know, gangsterism. Yeah. Well, we are speaking to Sergil January, former gang member from Retreat in Cape Town. And also with us is Dr. Kelly uh, Gillespie. We have to take a break. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation. We'll also take your calls on 0891-104-208. The home of SAFM in Peter Maritzburg. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Saturday nights are EFC nights on SABC3. Every Saturday from 9 p.m., you can catch all the best action from the Extreme Fighting Championship. This Saturday, we take a look at some of the best bouts fought by the two women competing for the inaugural EFC Women's Flyweight title, EFC Fight Nights, this Saturday at 9 p.m. on SABC3. Brought to you by SABC Sports. It's your favorite time of the morning. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo. Favorite time of the morning on AM Live. Thanks for tuning into the show this morning. Our focus today is on gangsterism and gangs and how they continue to terrorize our communities. I'm sitting with tons of uh, messages, of emails from people on the Val. Um, on the east strand of Gauteng and then you have people from the northern areas in um, uh, Port Elizabeth and you also have those from Cape Town. I'm looking at a message right now coming uh, talking about Guiani and these gangs are terrorizing the communities. So we're trying to get in there and understand what exactly it is that uh, causes these situation to flourish and how how can we as a community find a way to get 
our young men and sometimes women out of these situations that they find themselves in. Uh, Sergio January is a former gang member from Retreat in Cape Town speaking to us, as well as Dr. Kelly Gillespie, who's a senior lecturer in the Department of Anthropology at the University of the Witwatersrand. Uh, Dr. Kelly, um, you know, just listening to what Sergio had to say, and it reminded me of um, some of the documentaries and, and, and just some of the reports that I was watching and reading yesterday in preparation for today and at the end of it i actually regretted watching some of it because i was absolutely horrified look when you do work on young people in township it is scary um and i think you know there there are a couple of things that sergio said that i want to pick up on um the first is that um we have a very serious crisis when it comes to the futures of young people in this country We hear a lot about youth unemployment statistics, but when you think about uh, a young person, their their life should be oriented around the capacity to become an adult, to become uh, something, to make something of their lives. And in so many of our communities... Um, particularly communities that were created on the violent end of the uh, during apartheid, col- the colonial apartheid project, meaning poor people, black people, uh, township communities. So many young people simply don't feel that they have access to futures in ways that we would want them to have access to. And so this question that is at the center of the story um, in Sergil's shooting, and I'm so sorry, Sergil, um, to hear about that story, but the, the, at the center of that story is this question, Vizjay, who are you? And that's not an innocent question. It mm. gets asked by gangsters in yep. formations all over this country in, ver- in one form or another. It also gets asked as soon as you set foot in a prison, it gets asked of you. The first question that's asked you is Vizjay, yep. meaning who are you in relation to power? Mm. Who are you in relation to some sort of organized hierarchy that I can understand what your future is and where you are in relationship to that future? And unless young people have access to different kinds of futures where they can answer the question of who are you, Vizche, in relation to I'm, I'm going to school because I want to become uh, a, a, a doctor. I'm going to school because I want to become a teacher because I want to work with young people. If you, unless you have serious alternative futures for young people that they can see and towards which they can build through functioning schools, through functioning support networks, the, the gangs become incredibly important because they allow you to answer that question, Vizjay. I am. I have this much power in relation to this network of people. And so it becomes an insertion into um, a, a, a world of support, of, 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 protection. of protection, and of, of, of a viable economic future, right? Now, mm. it comes with a vast amount of terror and violence and misogyny and toxic masculinity and all of these things that are that are deeply problematic that are also ruining our communities but for these young men in particular they provide a, an answer to the question visje that is satisfying in ways that other roots uh, we, we, we're failing them with other routes towards the answer to that question. And uh, as uh, you know, Dr. Kelly says, this question isn't an innocent one. And, and you just have to think, when your child goes out on the weekends, 
have they been asked that question? In which context, in which setting? Uh, because this seems to be rather pervasive, not just in terms of the gangs in how they operate in um, your disadvantaged communities, but also in other rackets um, that you find um, in more formal setups, let's say in the cities where you have the clubs and people going to clubs and uh, the gangs operate there as well in one yeah. way or another. Yeah. And people, young children do get asked, Feast Jay, yeah. you know, yeah. in that context. And how often do we hear about the fights that break out, about yeah. people getting shot and killed in yeah. clubs where you don't expect this uh, to actually infiltrate, but it actually does. 25 minutes before nine and we're talking about gangs this morning. Uh, really grateful to Sergio January who is speaking to us this morning, former gang member from Retreat in Cape Town and also Dr. Kelly Gillespie from Wits University. And we're taking your calls on 891 uh, Let's start with uh, Lawrence in Port Elizabeth. Good morning, Lawrence. Good morning. Uh, good morning, SK. You know, SK, there was... Uh, the thing I've been thinking it for many, many years already when it comes to gangsterism. You know, if you look right across the country from Cape Town, as you said, Johannesburg, it's London, uh, 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 so on, <clears throat> All over where the DA is in control of the wards, you find gangsterism. And I've wondered for myself, Esther, is gangsterism perhaps, or was there any research done to see whether gangsterism is being, uh, uh, like politically, being fueled? Because it is just too, uh, what's his name for me, to see that why is it only where the, where the DA is in control that gangsterism is so right? You know, now the other day, on the 1st of May here in PE, after Ethel um, Trollope has appointed this lady from Cape Town to be chief of the Metro Police, five people were killed on the, on the same day. You do not find it within your other communities, like in the township and in the suburbs. Why is it where the DA is in control of the wards, you find gangsterism so right? Okay, uh, thank you so much, uh, Lawrence. And um, we're going to take uh, Lucky and Clarkstort next. Good morning. Morning, how are you? Good and you? Yes, yes. Uh, you know, this thing of gangsterism, I think uh, the government is failing us there. Because it's not only Cape Town. Here in Clarkstort, we're having gangsters and they're killing everyone here. Mm. Look at what is happening in the tax industry. Mm. Uh, Gangsters, you know, why can the government come with uh, harsher sentences, harsher laws, and try to get rid of all these gangsters? Because you can, you can, you can imagine these youngsters—they are hanging around with dangerous weapons. And now, when they are fighting, and it happens that you are caught in between, they will just kill you. Mm. You see? Why can the government do something there? Sure. You see. Thank you so much, Lucky. And I think that answers Lawrence's question uh, because it's not only where the DA rules. Uh, I don't think it actually is about whoever is in charge. I mean, it's about the socioeconomic, the psychosocial elements that will inform what happens in a community. Um, Dr. Kelly, and then we'll get an answer from uh, Sergil and then we'll go back to the calls. I, I agree. I don't think that, that the DA in particular has anything to do with gangs, but I do want to say that... Um, 
that gangs have been politically fueled in the history of our country. And this is a very, very important point because um, there, there were strategies to make townships ungovernable during the 80s and especially uh, during the, the early 90s that were deliberately uh, produced in order to uh, create conditions. For example, my, my colleague uh, Zeppo Molloy has written an extraordinary book on gangs in the free state in which he shows that a gang like the Three Million Gang um, was, uh, was fueled by an NP-IFP alliance uh, at the moment uh, where, where the political formations were coming into negotiations, deliberately to try and destabilize that region to advantage the National Party in coming into the, uh, the, the negotiations. So there, there, there are very, very important histories of the use of criminal gangs in order to um, create ungovernability in order to benefit the, those that, that have been in power, particularly the, the, the white national, nationalist party that was in power. So, And I think this history is very important to bear in mind because we live with the inheritance of that history. Mm. Where there was a where there was an attempt to create, in fact, um, uh, internally violent township spaces, such that um, there couldn't be uh, uh, serious work done towards the creation of, of 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 true liberation for our people. So, so criminality and criminal gangs have this long history of being used as destabilizing mechanisms, and we do we do sit with the with with the, with the legacy of that. Baba Zile says Western Cape gangs fight for territories, taxi routes, drug cartels, prostitution, and all are controlled by the prison gangs, the 26th mm-hmm. and the 28th. And Uti Christian says, I'm from Retreat. Life is a survival series growing up with Cisco Yakis and newly formed Americans. So it just goes on. Uh, Sergio? Yep. Okay, so, well, in conjunction with what the researcher just mentioned, I also think it has been fueled or evolved in the sense where these gangsters have become, you know, in, in terms of the power that they've got, they've also become wealthy, you know. So it's more also about, and I, I, I heard what the, what the first uh, caller said with regards to the political parties and whatever, but I think it's more on what, you know, the gang leader is able to offer a young man to offer anyone, um, so to speak, because, you know, I, I look what at the... What do they young... offer you, Sergio? Me? Yes. A sense of security. Like I, like I mentioned earlier on, I didn't have a, a father figure present in my life. So I was basically looking for that type of security. And at the end of the day, you gain that security, and you also then in turn go out and make other you know, young men or, or even, you know, 19, 20-year-olds, you also make them become part of these gangs because that is what you got to offer them, you know. Um, the other thing about it is guns is free. Not free, I wouldn't say free, but guns are, you know, it's, it's easy to find guns in, in our local areas. So, um, you know, and once a young man or, or you know, 20, 22, 23, 45 has a gun in his hand, he feels invincible, he feels powerful, you know what I'm saying? So it's basically that. That's, that's so where do the guns come from? Because when you talk about semi-automatic weapons and the like, where does that come from? Um, look, there's, there's, uh, well, I'm not going, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to mention, I don't really also know, but I know that in, a, in, in any camp, in any gang camp, there are guns to your disposal. 
You know what I'm saying? They are throwaway guns. They are guns that you've got as a personal item of yourself. So it's it's everywhere. You don't find a gang in, in, in Cape Town, particularly, that does not have guns. Because how else will they be able to defend themselves? How they get these guns, I'm unfortunately not able to answer you on this, but I know that there are guns. And I'm not talking small guns. I'm talking about 45s. Uh, there was one instance where an Uzi got shot. I was just going to say, I've, I, I've been reading and, you know, uh, people talking about Uzis. Like, yeah. th- how do you get hold of an Uzi? <laughs> I have no idea. There was one instance that I know about um, where there was like a, like a pump, you know. People think they're on movies these days. Well, you look at some of these things and it does look like a movie that's uh, yeah. playing out. Unfortunately, it is real life. But yeah. also, when it comes to the police, and this is a point of contention for many, um, yeah. according to you and, and, and as someone who's been there, yeah. what role do the, uh, the police play um, when it comes to gangsterism, curbing it, and uh, in some instances, allowing it to flourish? In my mind, you know, I think that the policemen or, and women, they are more afraid of going into these infested areas because it's, it, you're looking at guys that are not afraid to die at all. I, I use this, uh, this illustration when I go out and I speak at places. I use this illustration in saying you will never own the, the area that you are fighting for. It does not belong to any gang. You will die in that area and you have not you know, obtained uh, some kind of ownership to that. You will never, that's what I use. But I think that the police in particular, they are afraid of going into these areas. So they, in my mind, just allowing the, the guys, or you know, from different um, camps to shoot at each other and kill each other. But as the caller said, um, you know, many innocent people get caught up in this crossfire. Yeah. And end up li- losing their lives. And it's sh- such a shame, you know, um, it's 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 a it's very hard sort to see this, and now that I'm able to fully understand and grasp, you know, that this is this is this is what it is. People are losing their lives in a false belief of obtaining some kind of territorial power. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, we yeah. hear you. Let's hear from Mohammed in Johannesburg. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Sakina. Hi. Uh, the country where I came from, Egypt. They capture what you call the gangs. There are too much gangs. All of them, they put them into the, what you call the colleges situated in the rural areas. They teach them. They de- give them into certificates. They recruit into the police force. They recruit into the military, especially in the crime unit fighting. And then the notorious crime is there are the guys who are going to capture them. And then what happened? So these guys, they're very useful if the South African government, they do the same way as Egypt do. Okay. Thanks, Mohammed. Um, uh, next up is uh, Muswabi in Mangaung. Good morning. Good morning, Sajina Aman. How is chief to those who are never affected by this criminal gang? Now you've got the gang, the, the so-called, your guest is so-called ex-gang, but he can't even give you the information. I think mob justice with good reason. With good reason. You know what they say, oh, yeah. you never get out of the gang. As I was saying, I'm not going to mention the, the, the gang that I belong to because yeah. of that particular reason. I'm visually impaired at this moment and unable to um, That makes uh, you more vulnerable, myself. yes. Yeah. 
So it's not that I'm not wanting to give out information. It's more about protecting myself. And I was one day also approached by a Pagat member who said this thing. How can drug dealers and former gangsters, what have they ever contributed to, you know, society? And I mentioned to this guy, you know what, there's one thing I've understood, that I've got a second chance in this life, and I'm going to make it my very best is to go out and bring the awareness to, to areas and to, to young men and women. In spite of what you say, it will not deter me from what I am here, for what my purpose, in fact, is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, wait, Muswabi, are you still there? Ah, please, if we can try and get Muswabi back, uh, uh, terribly interjected there, but I thought it was important to just bring home the fact that it's not that Sergio does not uh, want to, but it's because, as they say, you only get out of the gang when you're dead. That, yeah. That's the only time when you really are out. Otherwise, they'll come for you. Yeah. Um, Muswabi, hope you'll call back. Cyril and Coxstad, good morning. Good morning. Hello? Hi. Hello? Yes. Uh, good morning, Zakina. This is such a serious talk, you know, and, and, and I've had your, your caller so far. Uh, what I would like to give input is, uh, my input will be, uh, to bring this topic up again, bring, bring our, our, our police, uh, Balula, in. He's such an exotic person. And let him come up here and have different stakeholders. You know, uh, uh, this gang issue, it, it's related, drugs are related to gangs. And, and these drugs, you know, it, it's such terrible things happening, you know, when you hear. I, I don't even want to stick my radio on anymore when you hear the terrible things that you hear. And which normal person can do things like that unless he's drug. Uh, 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 that, uh, you know, influenced. Really speaking, let's 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 get to solutions rather than just to talk yes. about it. And and uh, uh, really speaking, I uh, appreciate that. Agree, Cyril, and we'll talk about where some of the solutions may lie shortly. Gerald in Durban. Good morning. Hi, Sakina. Hi, Gerald. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's not only criminal gangs; it's various gangs that are uh, captured the state, included and. Uh, you know, the, the SACC report talks about a mafia state. The deputy president mentions it. The ex-minister of finance mentions it. Whatever kind of gang or criminal, organized criminal activity that is thriving in this country, it's because we've got a failed police force. Crime intelligence is spying on ARPID. Uh, ARPID is spying on them. Instead of, and they're all spying on each other's political opponents instead of getting on with the job of enforcing the law. If, if John Gotti from the Mafia in New York uh, had his criminal gang uh, um, dismantled, it took a commitment from police to finally get on top of the Mafia in New York, and crime levels came down in New York dramatically after the, the, the kingpins of those gangs were removed. But what it takes is a, is a clear commitment and a government and a police force that works. Totally agree. When are they going to chase after the criminals and the gangs if they are chasing after each other? Uh, Mr. Karim in Durban, good morning. Well, and you? I haven't spoken to you for ages. You never get, I want to just tell you something. I never get through your line. I don't know why, but I was lucky today. Sakina, I want to just make a small comment. <laughs> we have to learn to accept the South Africans. I know the subject is on gangs. But the South Africans must understand one thing very, very clearly. Our country is going through a phase of completely 
uh, a mess up. Whether we like it or not, and the listeners don't like it, this is my comment. The government has failed us because all these gangs and all that's happening in this country besides the social economic, whether it's crime, whether it's any other aspect that's happening in this country, is because they don't have control over anything. And the matter is so bad that if you look at this country, I think people are so disillusioned and are so upset that they get up in the morning and they don't even have a role to live anymore in this country. It's about time a change must come in all aspects of the, of the country. The guns, the uh, gangsters are all part of an evil devil that has been looked upon as, oh, well, don't worry. The police, the government must take a stance on every aspect of everything in this country because if you look at the hospitals, you look at the other aspects of life, you look at, uh, uh, there's no uh, uh, places in Durban, Johannesburg, the kids don't have anywhere to go. It's all part of the same thing. It leads to uh, the situation that we're sitting in. Okay, and then Karim was gone. Uh, let's take a last one. Uh, Muswabi in Mangaung is back. Muswabi, thanks for calling back. Okay, so again, as I was saying, these gangs are afraid to die. If we can legalize mob justice or bring back death penalty, I think we can have solution because even now, police got families. They are afraid to leave their uh, children behind, their wives. But this gang, they, to, to kill you is like a two minutes. It's like to kill a bird or whatever spider, I don't know. Yeah. If we can just bend them alive, then <clears throat> I think that's a solution we can have. Okay. That's Maswabi in Mangaung. I think I agree in part, and I'm not too sure. I'm not too convinced about the other part of it. But I think it segues nicely into talking about solutions. Uh, Dr. Kelly, let's start yeah, there. Thank you, and thanks for, for to all the listeners for calling in. I think one thing that I do agree with uh, uh, the, uh, the last caller, Maswabi, was that he seems to uh, point to the fact that black life in this country, in particular black life, is, is, has been cheapened to the point where it's, 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 it's not something, uh, it's easy to take a life, right? It's easy to rape a woman. Yeah. It's easy to hurt a child. Mm. And I think this does point to a society that has something very profoundly wrong with it, that we, we do live in a, in a, in a, in a society where, where there are pr- profound uh, pathologies that we need to change. But wh- where I don't agree with him is, is perhaps in his solutions. Um, I do think, as one of your callers said, that, gov- that our government is failing us and that we do need to demand better governance. But I also think that we have enormous power as people. Okay. And we need to we need to think about strategies we can use as people to intervene in these situations. Before we get to our own strategies mm-hmm. and solutions, uh, talking about the government, uh, Ms. Ponky says, SK, are we not at a point where soldiers need to be deployed to communities as they were in Pali? Mm-hmm. And we know that the Western Cape government at for a while also asked National to do the same is that a solution? Look, I've seen I've seen the army called in uh, actually to the area that that Sergil comes from, Retreat and Lavender Hill. I've done quite a bit of research yeah. there, and um, and honestly, it has made no meaningful long term difference in the violence in that community. It's a short term stopgap to to calm things down in the immediate, but it doesn't have. In fact, in many instances, it can make it worse because it hypermilitarizes, hypermasculinizes, um, and brings in more guns and more violence. Um, it it might be preventative violence in the short term, but what it does is is um, in some ways long term. Um, 
further militarizes uh, and makes more extreme those conditions. So I think that I think we should be looking to to other solutions. Oh, and some of those, as you said, you know, as communities, what can we do? Um, can I just interject? If yes, you don't mind? please, Sergio. Okay, so so what I've done, I believe that you spoke to Mr. Philip Dam not too long ago, but anyway, so Mr. Mr. Philip Dam was a council in the Grassy Park area had asked me, because I'm, I'm, I'm currently employed at the League of Friends of the Blind, um, he's asked me to, to do a talk, you know, at one of the schools in our surrounding area, close to Parkwood, who's also infested with violence and gangsterism. So I think one of the, one of the, the ways that we can combat this is to educate our youth as to where they are heading into, because, um, you know, if, if you can bring the awareness to the, to, to the grassroots, I, when I spoke to them, I, I helped them understand this one thing, that gangsters may have money, they may have the power that they've got, but they, they are all uneducated people. So, you know, and these, these children look at things like that. They don't have school education, they don't have work, but they've got money. So that seems easy to them. You know what I'm saying? So to bring awareness to, to different schools, um, I believe it's one of the ways that we can combat this whole gangsterism thing. Mm. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, um, just again, watching some of these uh, documentaries yesterday and what happens to young men, especially when they go into prison, awaiting trial prisoners, is totally soul-destroying. And I was sitting there watching this thinking... Mm. I would bend over backwards to make sure, God forbid, that one of my sons has to go into a prison. Sakina, I I I couldn't agree with you more. And I think one of the um, one of the things that we imagine we're doing when we call for better policing is that we'll just send the bad guys to prison and it'll be become better. And we have this illusion about what prison is and what prison does to our society that is a protective and a violence-reductive uh, mechanism. But it is not. And I've done many years of research in South African prisons and, in fact, many re- much research about prisons all over the world. And there is, there is no doubt that prisons make violence worse yep. and deepen gang networks. So if you go to prison as a as a 20-year-old, there is no doubt that when Traffic you go offender. into prison, yeah, when you go into prison you will be exposed to levels of violence, yeah. hypermasculinity and gang-related networks that when you come out you will be more violent and it is unbelievably difficult to change, and I've been involved in this work for many years, There's, it's unbelievably difficult to change the nature of a prison. Prisons are set up to be that way, and no matter how much you do to change them, it's extremely difficult to change them. So we can't have the imagination that we just need to build more prisons, send more people to prison. It's not going to work. Neither is there any evidence that burning people or bringing back the death penalty is in any way preventative. Mm. There is just no evidence internationally that that, is, that that fixes anything or it, or it turns the tide against violence. Yep. The only serious solution is building alternative futures for our young people. Yep. Serious investment in our schools, in making them safe places, in giving viable education that uh, can allow for young people to imagine other kinds of futures. Um, that 
that we work together to invest as people, as communities in our schools, that we um, think about how do we hold fathers accountable to provide resources for their mm-hmm. families. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's not just that, I mean, it's not just that, um, you know, that we need fathers. It's that we need to provide conditions for our young people to feel like they can have futures that are viable. Mm-hmm. And that also, and I think this is critical, it involves people fighting for proper resources to go to township schools and to township community centers and to, uh, and to community programs, that we have to redistribute resources effectively in the society such that township spaces can have access to the same kinds of viable future-making mechanisms that attend the lives of middle class uh, young people. And unless we do that, unless we build deeper structures political structures together, we are not going to solve this problem. And it's, it's long-term work, it's deep work, it's preventative work. But we, there is no evidence to suggest that if we just bring in hard-end criminal justice system solutions mm. that we're going to fix, deeply uh, resolve this problem. We have to take seriously collective fighting for resources, collective capacity building in schools, in community centers, in youth programs mm. that will pr- produce viable alternatives for young people. Sergio, we have about a minute left. Uh, what would you say to parents? What is it that they can do, that they can look out for uh, Uh, to try at the very least and prevent their children from getting caught in this trap? Okay, uh, my first thing is, um, you know, uh, parents in particular should not claim that uh, they know their children. I think it is very important for them to actually get to know their children. You know, the other thing is when when you find your child, you know, hanging out with with the wrong type of people, uh, speaking out of term, in terms of using gang slangs or whatever the case may be, then you already know that there is some kind of attraction to a particular gang. Maybe it could be a dominant gang within your area or the least dominant. But either way, you need to look at all these things, the symptoms of smoking weed, because that is where it starts. Thereafter, hooked onto unga or, or, or t- crystal meth, you know, there's a lot of signs that these um, drugs produce. There's a lot of signs that these gangs, especially in terms of the slang, you know, the attitude of a child, you know, after coming in from the street, you know what I'm saying? There's lots to look at. And I think parents should really pay lots of attention to their children and not only claim that, no, I know my child. My advice to parents would be get to know that child before it is too late. Well, Sergil January, thank you so much for your bravery and speaking to us this morning. Sergil is a former gang member from Retreat in Cape Town, and uh, he was shot, is now blind, and uh, trying to make a difference. And we also had uh, Dr. Kelly Gillespie, who is a senior lecturer in the Department of Anthropology at the University of the Witwatersrand. Thank you so much for all your comments as well, and to the production team. It's just after nine, Nomsan Luli up with the latest news.